Welcome to Learte de l'Armée, the Bolognese podcast where we discuss the intricacies of the Bolognese tradition with the practitioners, translators, authors, and teachers working to bring the art back to life. This week's guest is Eric Weiss. Eric is a stunt performer, fight choreographer, ballroom dance instructor, and teaches side sword on Academy Duello's online platform. Eric spent five years performing and jousting at Medieval Times in Dallas, Texas, and has been practicing Western martial arts for eight years. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, it's a pleasure to have you. I've I'm I'm not gonna lie. I've been uh, ridiculously excited about uh, the potential for this episode because um, this is something that I've been incredibly interested in for a long time. Um, I, you know, I I don't know about how long you've been um, doing horsemanship. I, I, I guess that'd be a good question to ask, but um, you know, I grew up riding horses and it's always been something that I've loved, um, but connecting HEMA to horsemanship has been something that I have yet to do and, and really would love to do. Um, so how long have you been uh, riding? Uh, well, so I don't ride as much as I'd like to now. Um, but the, the greatest portion of my horsemanship actually was uh, at medieval times. Uh, and funny enough, they actually prefer people to come in with less experience uh, because your prior horsemanship actually brings in other habits. Um, so riding to joust is a completely different skill. Uh, yeah, that's, um, that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I can, um, and we'll kind of, we'll dig into the bulk of the material here in a little bit, but I, I can imagine, um, especially even just reading like Delagoke's general advice um, that there is um, quite a bit of um, like bad habits that you could develop, especially from like a Western horsemanship perspective, you know, cause it's so relaxed and you're sitting in a Western saddle, you're just kind of, you know, you're hanging out. I mean, they, they are the comfiest saddles that you can ride, but that's, goes totally contrary to everything that Delagoke uh, advises. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we, uh, we rode English uh, style. Uh, and anybody that learns to ride, I mean, if they can absolutely learn English first, uh, it's a more difficult, uh, you know, saddle to ride. But then moving over to Western is like, not a problem at all. Um, though it is funny that you know, I spent five years doing that. And then like, uh, my stunt background, I would ride Western here and there. And I, I still get on a horse and I immediately assume a English posture. <laughs> Sometimes the horses are like, what are you doing? <laughs> different feel, different engagement. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, let's um, tell me a little bit about um, your martial arts background and how you got started. Okay. Uh, so my martial arts background is uh, not entirely impressive, uh, but I suppose uh, entertaining in a sense. Um, never had a lot of exposure, just, just not having like opportunity. And I guess my parents not having money. So it's definitely something I explored later on in my life. And it was very like uh, backyard uh, style. It was more of uh, so I was very lucky to find my Wing Chun instructor when I did. Um, and this was uh, like early twenties, um, my early twenties. And um, this was more, he was training for a test um that he was taking to level up and he needed someone to work with <laughs> and i and i and i you know i was willing to get beat up already as a, as a stunt guy so that helped me out and that's pretty much what happened uh, every time i was training for another scene or to choreograph a scene it was then seeking out martial artists to learn this style to emulate it 
not so much to be sort of martially proficient. So a lot of it came through um, kind of diligently exploring the art and then later on learning the actual martial background of it. So it's very interesting how that works. That, oh, we can get into that, uh, I suppose, later as to how that, uh, the, the consequences of that later on uh, for HEMA. Um, but yeah, in 2015, I think, or 2012, I discovered HEMA uh, through looking for choreography. Uh, somebody had um, asked me to do a, you know, a sword fighting scene. And they, uh, they're like, we want something more gritty because um, I think Game of Thrones had just kind of hit the scene. And they wanted something a bit more intense. Uh, and so I was like, ah, is that a thing? You know, and I sought it, I sought it out. And then I found a local group around me and, uh, you know, I checked that out and I thought that was super cool. Um, got to sort of like uh, showcase them and like the behind the scenes of it too. And then uh, afterwards I sort of gravitated more toward that, you know, it was medieval times and then stunts. And then I found swordsmanship again and I was like, oh, okay. And I sort of enjoyed learning the art opposed to emulating the art. And that's really where I guess the true martial journey began is that I, I started to really enjoy the, the actual uh, art of the thing opposed to uh, pretending at it more or less. Yeah, I, I've, we've had quite a few um, people who have uh, fight choreography backgrounds come through our school. And, um, you know, that's always kind of the first thing that they're, the, the first habit, talking about habits that you have to break, um, that's always kind of the first habit that we have to break is, you know, <laughs> um, you know, actually thrusting at somebody yeah <laughs> you know because they're like ah well i could just go this way and i'm like ah, not quite Let, let's stick to the line you know and uh, i would i would do that a lot i would strike and cut the, the cut just short and they're like you're just millimeters away you just you know you just need to actually commit yeah just finish it just finish it <laughs> yeah all right so um the glory of this episode um and well, I guess the bulk of this episode, we are going to talk about horsemanship because um, you have an incredibly unique um, uh, background and um, there's quite a bit of Bolognese material uh, about horsemanship and uh, dealing with it. Um, so starting out with um, Dallagoquier's uh, second book um, and his advice on jousting. Um, I'd love to get your advice on this material. So he, he kind of starts out with talking about how to position the rings. Um, and I guess, you know, for, for most people, this is something who they, I mean, they've probably seen it if they've ever been to a joust, which I imagine a lot of people have either through um, going to uh, Renaissance festivals in North America or going to medieval times. I know that that was my first experience. Right. Um, I'll never forget the first wood sword that I got from medieval times. It was my prized possession all the way through my youth. Um, but, uh, you know, so he kind of talks, he starts out talking about how to position the rings. And he says, you place the ring to the left of the course of the rider uh, and six feet off the ground to better acquaint oneself with striking an enemy in the head. Um, and here I, I kind of imagine that he's talking about a, a dismounted opponent because it's six feet. And I think, uh, roughly with a rider and a horse you're talking about eight feet for where the head's at about yeah yeah um so i imagine he's striking he's talking about striking somebody on the ground could you just shed some light on uh what it, sort of what it's like tilting for rings and what that skill is like in, in developing that skill uh sure 
Uh, and this definitely leads into what he is talking about later with, with the, the horsemanship. Um, is setting that up, of course, um, like if you're going to shows now, sometimes you'll actually see the ring on like the right side. And that's just so the audience can like be closer to the action. Um, so what he's talking about, obviously, is just, you know, actually training it a little bit more. Uh, and of course, you want to have it across the left side because you're aiming at, you're, you're learning to, of course, joust at somebody on the ground or even another jouster. So learning to point across yourself is going to be better. Um, and honestly, Jousting the ring is one of the most humiliating <laughs> and important trials is just trying to get a good seat on your horse or well, actually what you're learning to do is post up and sort of like post up and stay straight, settled and unmoving as the horse is gliding. And that's really the skill that you're learning. So that the lance stays like straight on steady, unmoving, and you just point across through that hole and you just let the horse guide you into it very much like i mean very much like a good thrust you very much want to get your sword in front of you extend and then move your body into uh the thrust and it's the same way you're learning that skill but um having the uh, if you're in your saddle at all that <laughs> that lance is bouncing everywhere and it's really rough uh to just just miss that hole every single time and it's 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 tough but uh it's better to do it's better to learn it that way. And of course it's a, it's a lot of fun to get the competitive side of it. Um, when you also sort of like do that for competition, there's something about it, of course, where um, well, the moment there's somebody, something else at stake, uh, suddenly the skill picks up a little bit. Uh, so that was always fun. The moment you had to like, like, all right, you both have to get three rings and go. And all of a sudden like you were very much like, all right, engage post up. And it gave you a little bit more intent. Um, but letting the wet lance wobble around and just miss it by, inches or even just by an entire foot uh just that's a it's a trial yeah it sounds like it i and i imagine i mean it, you think about just working with a narrow target versus working with a much bigger target like a, a person i imagine that jousting for a ring is much much harder than actual like jousting against uh an opponent uh well yes yeah, uh, yeah, I, I can totally agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little bit of hesitation, and maybe we'll kind of get into that uh, yeah. as, as we'll continue on. Um, so he continues this conversation with Lapido, uh, his muse, um, by informing him that the uh, the purpose of the exercise of tilting for rings is so that the light, the rider can learn to carry the lance well. Which yes, kind of you kind of got into there, uh, and then he gets into this general advice on carrying a lance, um, and he gives six headings. He says, um, and they are how to be on horseback well, uh, carrying the lance on the thigh, planting placing the lance on the rest, uh, how to couch the lance, how to recover the lance, and then um, yeah, and so that's those are the sort of his six general headings on on how to how to joust, right? And so let's go through those, um, starting with how to be on horseback well. Um, so he gives us three general pieces of advice here. Uh, first, he says, when on horseback, that a rider shouldn't stay seated much uh, because of the discomfort to the rider and because it makes carrying a lance ugly. What's he getting at here? Uh, so that's, that's what I find funny is that uh, we're so used to, especially with bolognese and, you know, of course, anyone that's read if they, for some reason, read Marazzo first, they can understand the uh, the frustration of reading something and going, what are they talking about? Um, but in this case, it is 
just as he says. Um, so you don't want to keep your seat in the saddle. Um, so right off the bat, uh, for those that don't know, there are typically three speeds that you're going to be on on a horse. And that's a walk, a trot, uh, and a canter, right? So walking, sort of like a, a, a brisk jog, <laughs> right? Or, or running, right? Um, at whatever speed, you do not want to be sitting in the saddle because you're going to be bouncing up and down, right? If, you're do if your body's doing that, even with your lance couched to your best ability, even if you have uh, mythical strength, um, <laughs> you, that lance is going to be bouncing as well. And it's just going to look, it's just going to look very silly. Um, ugly is definitely from a, like, you know, a critique point, like if you're teaching somebody, but it's also just very silly to look at, like you can walk out there and just be the jester more or less, like you look very much a fool. Um, so the good horsemanship is exactly this, is that like to even get that ring is to be sure you're posting up in that saddle, right? Actually like lifting yourself, uh, up sort of engaging with the thighs and then pushing a little bit of the stirrups, uh, to stand up off the horse. So of course the horse is the driving force and your torso is nice and lifted ahead of that. And it's just you and the lance are nice and fluid and you can just glide right into your target. So that's the, that's, that's the horsemanship side of it is keeping that nice, steady, beautiful lance um, as the horse is just powering through opposed to of course, jostling everywhere uh, and looking ugly as it were. <laughs> and it, it's funny because he says that a lot. I mean, this is something uh, for those of you who are, really interested in this and, and go back and read um the text it's it's something that he says a lot like he's constantly talking about how this and that make for an ugly sight and it's it's something where he, he really is talking about uh doing this from a performance standard which is interesting right i mean i imagine and jousting in in 1570s was much more about just the the pageantry and a lot less about the actual martial application but the one thing that's really fascinating about this core of text is he really does talk about how you know this works in a battlefield setting you know and he he constantly kind of tries to pull things back to hey this still is applicable and 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 war um and that's why we're learning this material you know um which i find yeah really yeah i think his words later were really beautiful where it's like the, the closer you get to truth uh, or something to that effect. And I was yeah. like, Ooh, I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, so his second bit of advice is when you begin your tilt, you shouldn't apply your spurs to the horse too furiously. Instead, you should direct the horse on course slowly so that the horse comes more willingly. Oh, yes. All right. This is, this is where it gets fun. Um, and I'll probably bleed into the next one a little bit just from talking about this. So absolutely. Um, you know, we're, uh, we are creatures of habit, you know? Uh, so to kind of go into that, like, you know, if, if something traumatized you earlier on, you you find yourself in that scenario and then like your adrenaline will spike in some sort of way because you've obviously been conditioned to react that way. Uh, if you spur your horse too much before the, <laughs> before the tilt, they will get super excited. And I'm saying, I'm being very nice, but they just get super jacked up. Um, and then you get to a place where you can't control your horse, um, before, uh, before you take off, or even if you spur them like too much during the actual, like running down, uh, uh, running down the, uh, the list there, uh, they can just, they can just 
plow way too hard and they're just going way too furious, right? Because they're in their own mind that like you've just got them in this adrenal state um, that is not productive, right? I mean, just the same thing in a spar, like you can have like your blood up and be ready to go. And then there's also somebody that can get like way too like, like in that, in that little sort of furious mode. And it's like, okay, you're, you're, you're nearly a danger. Right. Um, so yeah, there is some, there's some moments where, uh, you do that and then the horse gets ready for it because that's their moment to go, you know, all the way. So it's hard to even like park the horse as it were to just like rest before you're given like the, uh, the signal to go. Uh, and that horse will just be so ready to run, you know, like watching a team of sled dogs, like get ready to, to take off. Right. Um, and they will just sit there and they'll, you know, if you, if you've really pumped a horse up and spurred them that many times, they'll either be, you know, afraid or super excited for it. Um, and they will, they'll, they'll rear, they'll snort, like it's hard to keep them. And, it, and again, it's kind of goes back to the ugly thing. Cause you'll just be sitting there. One rider is standing still lance up noble, ready to ride. And the other one's just, you know, playing it all over the place, jostling around. And it's, you know, and it looks, uh, it looks, it looks silly. It's comical. Um, and, uh, so that's this, I'm going to, the next part is, uh, spurring them too much while on the ride. Uh, you can very easily, since you're lean, since you're already pointing off to your left, the opposite, uh, jouster, it's very easy to like almost lean in a little bit. And if you lean to your left, your left foot is going to actually press into the horse, right? So when that spur hits the left side of the horse, the horse always moves away from pressure. So what's actually happening is that there's the list, you're going down it, and then you give too much spur, and they now come off the line, oh. right? So it literally moves you away from your target. That's interesting. So, yeah, you very much want to get the horse to accelerate and go down the line in a nice, smooth, straight line with as much force as you can get. Um, but yeah, if they're way too jacked up, they're going to rile around and it's going to jostle you around, throw off your, throw off your aim. Uh, and if you give them too much spur on the left side, it's literally going, they're just literally going to jump off the line. Um, and a funny story about that, you know, uh, you know, people getting that are brand new working on that will get these bad habits and the horses will have a few, you know, you'll see that in practice, but if a horse has been the practice horse far too many times, I've literally seen mid mid show they're going down the line this horse has been working with the new guy like all like few hours before the actual show and right before the impact that horse literally just jumps off to the right like do like like they know the timing and they just go huh! they just like switch you know quick edge as exit side of the stage there and they just jump off the line like almost throwing the rider because it's just so much force but they just get like they're just so ready they're jacked up before they take off. And then when they take off, they're ready to get out of the way before the impact. Cause you've trained them to be like fearful or overly excited or, you know, all that. So. That's awesome. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's what, that's what I love about having your, your take on all of this information, because, you know, that's something. And, and the beautiful thing is, you know, with practical experience, you know, this is something we don't necessarily get with fighting with sharp swords uh, as much, you know, we, we can't really get the, the sort of adrenal response that we're looking for to understand certain reactions between fencers, but with jousting in particular, you know, this is something that you're actually doing, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. every little bit of it is, is still, um, you know, it might not necessarily be a living art, but the full implication of, of 
the entirety of the joust you can recreate and start to learn sort of that anecdotal evidence and that's that's awesome and that's why i'm super excited about this <laughs> so yeah that was that was the next part you shouldn't press uh, your horse too much with the left spur um and then he gets onto the second heading um where the second heading is uh, ways in which you can carry the lance on your thigh. Um, what's he talking about and why is this important? Because um, it seems kind of interesting, this, uh, like, uh, you know, carrying your lance on your thigh. What's he, what's he getting at? Uh, okay. So, <clears throat> uh, to clarify just a little bit, you're not entirely, like, resting it on top of your thigh, um, though you can, but it will simply just bounce around. Um, it's very much kind of the same idea of wanting to keep, you know, anything that you're like, your weapon is just going to be close to your body. Right. And I'm keeping that butt of that lance kind of on my thigh. Like it's kind of resting there while I'm, while I'm riding forward. Um, and that's just that idea that it's like, if I'm posted up right in the saddle and I'm upright and, you know, you know, not chest puffed, but you know what I mean? Like, just like, you know, you're, you're, you're posted up there, very upright, elegant, right? Uh, uh, that posture that we're always talking about in, of course, Bolognese and even in theory and all that, keeping that good posture. Um, and you're, and then you also, you brace your lance next to your thigh like that, it's going to stay also solid, also upright, right? It's going to be very beautiful in that way. Um, opposed to, of course, going with the horse's motion. Horse's motion, sorry. Uh, and it's going to be, of course, jostling around. So we keep kind of coming back to this. So it's like, if you're lazy about how you hold yourself and your lance, it's going to jostle around and look comical. You're going to look like a joker. It's going to be ugly. You have now like completely, uh, you know, you've, you've, you've dishonored, you know, what it is to be, uh, you know, mounted, what it is to be a knight. Like you've just, you've, you've brought disgust to what is supposed to be beautiful uh, and noble. Yeah, that's uh, and and it's it's funny too because, you know, so much of what we consider our martial understanding, you know, we we have a lot that we do with swords. Uh, swords are a lot lower of an entry level <laughs> than than horsemanship necessarily, um, but if we're really kind of putting ourselves in the mindset of somebody in the 14th, 15th, 16th century, horsemanship probably would have been at the pinnacle of what they would have considered, you know, any sort of a, a martial ethic or uh, sort of standard. Right. And what's important to know is that when you're doing any of this, whether it's, you know, um, the jousting lance or a sword on a horse, um, the, the horse is your new footwork. Right. And that's really it is that when you're, when you are riding this horse, you are doing a lot of driving with your, with your, with your legs. Right. And the upper half of your torso is needing to be somewhat separate in a way. Like you can't have your upward body motion uh, affecting what the horse is doing. Like, so if I move my shoulders back and forth, I can't have my hips doing that as well, unless I want to literally drive the horse that direction as well the same way that if you have like too far forward of a lean in your footwork then obviously your head is actually going to come forward right and you end up it's you know getting sniped in the head it's like why was i sniped in the head it's like well you lean forward now your face is in the way right <laughs> i hate it when that happens man yeah <laughs> it's the worst 
Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. So um, he says that there are three ways of doing it. Um, he, he gives us that you can put it between your thighs and the saddle uh, to make it lean slightly towards the left. Um, or you can hold the lance so that it remains fixed in the middle. And then Lepido asks him which he thinks is best. And he says, carrying it in the middle, um, uh, fixed in the middle. Um, so, I mean, I guess you kind of you kind of got to that a little bit. But what is what exactly oh. is happening here with fixed in the middle? Oh, okay. Sorry. I guess I was thinking more of like, as you're trotting up, I would have like, I would have the lance off of the saddle and at my side, right? Like resting, like resting on my thigh. Um, we're just talking about there, I suppose, is at a rest, right? When you're just sort of like seated, you're not moving anywhere. Um, so absolutely. Um, you don't want just the butt of that lance, um, like resting on your leg. Like you want to put that right in the center, like right on that sort of uh, um, lip of the saddle there. So you're just resting it, all right? Like right on, right on the, where the, like that shoulder of the horse would be. You're sort of just resting it there. Um, and uh, I think this is the next part, actually. It's like, and you want to keep that straight up as well. Like just keep that sort of like rested straight in front of you. And that's sort of your just resting position in the same way that you're, of course, <laughs> keep coming back to this. I feel like I'm a broken record, but it's like, you're posted up, you're tall right spine erect your lance should also be as centered and tall and proud as you are um opposed to you leaning it any other direction you know if you lean it on like your actual leg uh it's going to start to tilt off to the side right because if the horse jostles it's going to jostle right with your lower body so you're going to keep it center um resting on that saddle so that it stays centered yeah, and that's interesting because like Lupito actually follows that up and he asks if you are going to let your lance lean, should you let it lean to the left or the right? And then I think Delagoke says that you should let it lean to the left. Um, right, yeah. It's like you got three choices, right, center, or left. Um, and if you and it's like center, but if you absolutely must lean it, lean it left since like, you'll be pointing your lance there momentarily. Yeah. Right, it's like, it's like cool, pre-position it. If, if you absolutely must. Um, and I suppose that's going to, you, you can, you, uh, I'll, t I'll take a leap and say, you know, it's like on the martial side of like, you know, leaning toward being battle ready. Right. If I'm waiting to charge, I'll go ahead and get my, my weapon pre, you know, predisposed to lean across, you know, and get on target opposed to being straight up. But uh, straight up is of course the more um, aesthetically pleasing um, and secure position for it to be in. That makes sense. All right. So, um, yeah. And then he, he pretty much dismisses just hanging it to the right. He's like, just don't do that. It's yeah. Not, it's, it looks terrible. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> so now there was, there was, there was a guy there who, who I won't name, but, uh, he was, uh, he had a more of a, he had a, he had a colorful background. Um, even in his, even his fighting, he had a very sort of like a thuggish approach uh the way he did things and he would he would totally lean back in his saddle kind of western style and he would also just sort of like rest the lance there in the center but just sort of like you know cocked off to the right and it was just really strange watching all of everybody out there uh to present themselves as noble knights of the realm and he was just in there being like whatever <laughs> yeah he just made it, you know i did and it was and it's funny because uh most of the time in a social setting you know in a modern social setting he everyone saw him as the cool one but in the show, I was like, you, you don't even yeah. look like the bad guy. You just look yeah, like a slob. Is he always the bad guy? 
<laughs> I mean, he, you know, he normally was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because that was the only persona he was really able to embody. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. All right. So um, now that we've learned uh, our posture in the saddle and how to the lance, um, as we start our tilt, uh, now he moves on how to lift the lance um, and place it into the lance rest. Um, the first option is to immediately lift the lance and seat it into the lance rest. The next is to lift it and hold it outside of your thigh using the wrist with your arm extended downward. And then the third is to lift it upward from the thigh somewhat as, you, um, as you're sent onto the course, uh, holding it likewise with the wrist, but with your arm bent aiming the point of your lance toward the adversary. Um, so first, what does he mean by holding it with the wrist? Because that's something that's going to come up quite a bit. Right. Um, so this, at this point, you're still holding the, um, I mean, with the, with the exception of the, the first one where he says, just lowering it onto the lance rest. Um, and for clarification, I don't have personal experience with this because what he's talking about is that lance rest is actually affixed to uh, like jousting armor. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and that sometimes would also like affix to um, a piece that would actually be on the lance, uh, which I believe is called the grapper. Uh, and that's like they literally connect, sort of just have a little safety like, like trailer hitch, like boom, it's in place. Um, and on days where I was doing a triple shift, man, would that have been nice. <laughs> uh, so I just, I just want to throw that out there. If they ever want to do that, that'd be great. Um, so uh, these other versions, right? So what's going on is that you've got that lance um, in that centerpiece, right? So let's say um, the music begins and it's like, all right, time to get started, you know? Or you're, you know, you're at rest here and all of a sudden you see the flags go up, getting ready. And you're going to just simply lift up that, uh, that lance off of that resting point on the saddle. And you're just going to sort of bring it off to the side. And so I'm still carrying it upright, right? And I'm just carrying, but the, the idea of carrying it at the wrist is that I don't have this like this kind of closed in like um, elbow close to my core as I would when I'm holding the lance, you know, resting it in the center, right? Now I've sort of lifted it up and it's sort of off to the side here, right? So either I can simply lift it up and just drop it onto that lance rest, which is just real quick and easy, right? Or I can bring it off to the side, right? And let it rotate onto it. So, and what he's also talking about, and uh, I know I'll try to explain this as best I can as I'm mocking this physically, <laughs> um, but you're bringing it off to the side and you sort of let it drop slightly. Uh, and what you're really doing is you're letting the, the counterweight, which is sort of the butt of that lance drop down. And what's happening is that you kind of let that sort of lev let lever and fall back almost like to come up against your forearm and that will sort of tilt it and drop it into a lance rest as well and this is also how you would get it into the couch uh, which i think he talks about later yep cool um so now he goes on to say that all three of these options are good so he's kind of ambiguous here he's like you know do whatever i guess is comfortable for you um but that he uh prefers the latter so he prefers uh um, holding it likewise with the wrist, but with the arm bent, aiming the point of your lance toward your adversary. Um, so, and then he says, because it's more useful in war. So this is where he comes up with that anecdote where he talks about it being useful in war. Um, and then he says, therefore, it's more beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. 
which I, 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 I thought that was really fascinating um, and really interesting. And um, we, we kind of touched on that already, but um, it is interesting that he still considered this as, as an exercise of preparing for war, um, but still treats it with such pageantry. So um, he concludes this chapter with an interesting anecdote where he talks about the weight of lances and says that heavier lances were more prone to knocking riders off their horses in the course of a joust. Um, but they fell out of favor for lighter lances because today they care only to carry the lance well and to break them judiciously. Because in truth, um, when doing it for entertainment, uh, extreme should always be avoided. So that those are his words. He says, uh, this is a direct quote from Dalagoki. He says, today they care only to carry the lance well and to break them judiciously because in truth, when doing it for entertainment, extremes are always to be avoided. Um, Correct, yeah. What do you think about that? Especially given your experience um, has primarily, primarily been done uh, for a form of theatrical entertainment. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so let's, well, let me touch on the extremes first. Um, extremes should be avoided in the sense that, um, if the lance is too, like, if it's too light, um, so what we're looking for is like, probably like a clean, beautiful looking break, you know, on the shield or on the armor. Um, if the lance is too, if the lance is too weak or you're holding it too weak, it's going to fall apart. Right. And it just, it looks wimpy. It looks like you didn't actually take a hit. Right. If you build them very strongly, like go all the way. So um, I'll try not to steal too much of the magic, but anyway, the tips are somewhat, you know, they're, they're cut in a way that allows them to sort of explode on a, on a, on a good impact. Right. Uh, and every once in a while, you get a, a brand new squire that uh, didn't learn how to do that quite right. And uh, they just put a, just a normal tip in there <laughs> and you go for a practice run and you get hit with a full brunt <laughs> of uh, a show lance maybe, but that extreme is really tough because um, you're also not riding to take that hard of an impact mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> for entertainment value. So you could absolutely be caught completely off guard. Because you brace yourself quite differently for an actual hit that is not intending to break and a hit that is intending to break. Um, so it's still going to hurt either way. But um, the extreme of this is you can be caught completely off guard and, uh, well, falling off the horse under the horse's hooves is not a pleasant experience. And I can tell you that from personal experience as well. Oh, do tell. <laughs> okay. Um, so... This happens multiple, uh, multiple ways. I've, it's happened to me, happened to others. Um, first of all, always, always properly tack your horse, which is uh, securing uh, the saddle and all that. Uh, when the girth strap is loose, um, you can be hit pretty hard with that lance. And then um, sort of, uh, uh, what is it, a Robin Hood, uh, yeah, Prince of Thieves style. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That was fall under you yeah that's perfect <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah the, the 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 dark side is is that you don't uh you don't stay in the saddle as that happens uh you fall on the ground and the hoods go over you um and if you're very lucky um they don't hit you um but yeah when you're not ready to take that hit you can easily uh just go uh uh right off right off the horse and uh, sometimes uh, in practice, we would, um, <laughs> if someone was not doing their job well, uh, my first boss 
with uh like was it somebody came in real late for practice and um he just totally went back there and grabbed like <laughs> the stiffest most uncut lance and he goes yeah put that one in the lance <laughs> and just he went in for his practice rounds that day and uh yeah it's it's tough you take that in the shield and um you nearly yeah yeah you you nearly fly off because you're you're expecting it to break in some way uh but coming off the horse in that way i've got other i got other uh both fun and horror stories for that but uh coming off of the horse is intense and we 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 did train uh quite vigorously and constantly to learn how to fall that is a huge portion of coming of just doing that knowing yes. how to fall off the horse is the biggest part because when you, you're coming off that's gonna yeah. happen <laughs> like if you're grappling with hema and stuff like that right like i mean if you're yes kind of grappling you have to learn how to fall first mm -hmm. um moving on to the next setting we get into this advice on how to set the lance and the lance rest uh he again gives us three options the first is to place it at the beginning of the course the second is when the horse has been dispatched and the third is as one draws near the adversary Tell us about this. Okay. So, uh, again, my experience is more with uh, couching it, um, but with this lance rest, right, where the, the lance is sort of going to hook in with that. Uh, the first option, of course, is, I mean, safe and prudent in that, yes, you won't, yeah, you won't, you're not going to lose control of it. Or uh, So it's very easy to just sort of connect that and then get on the line, right, and start riding. Um the next one is far better for you to move the horse onto the line and as you're as you're going down the line connect it and then actually you know begin the full ride because that way that way it's very it's very nice and elegant it's up it's composed then as you get on the line you put it in the rest right you kind of put it into like that safety knock and then go forward um the last one uh is possible but for me uh if I had to put it into sort of like a, like into a Lance rest, like a place that sort of like locks it in place, that keeps that easy doing that while in full ride going toward, again, I'm dealing with that wind resistance. Um, and that's just going to be, it's going to be a hassle. It'll take experience to do. Um, and I suppose it is doable, but it, to me, it's just all, it's a liability to try and fix it then. So best to, best to, best to like move up to the line, gallantly and upright and then as you turn to face your opponent click it in so yeah the second option absolutely if i yeah, had a safety rest you know i guess this would probably be a good time to kind of speak about different gates and how different gates affect uh how like i mean i guess we kind of talked about it a little bit but really got to get into the specifics of different gates and how they affect you as a writer right like mm -hmm. when you're when you're at a walk you know it's nice and easy not too bad but at a trot they're just the the general cadence of a trot creates this very kind of you know it's bouncy yeah very unsteady. <laughs> and i imagine like as you're approaching here you're probably going at a trot and maybe maybe he's saying that people had done that because you're changing your, your gait then you're going to transition to perhaps more of like a canter or yes. maybe even a little, before you really get into your gallop and that's a little bit more of a smoother gait yeah right? so maybe that's yeah. where that third option comes in but you know like you said it it seems safer to just go ahead get it seated in the lance rest and then 
be prepared to go ahead and get into that um, so that way you're ready for your run. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so Dalagoki says that yeah, the second option, um, seating the lance in the lance rest when the horse has been dispatched is preferable uh, because if you do it before you set on your course, the horse may jostle the rider and make the lance unstable. Um, and so what, what's kind of been your experience with this, especially like just dealing with the lance in general, like as you're preparing and you're transitioning through these different gates um, and, and what is it kind of like when you get that initial jolt? Because we're, we're talking about already starting and we're about to start our gallop. What is that? What is that like when you just feel all that power underneath you just decide to take off? <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I kind of touched on this a little bit earlier too with the, uh, like, don't spur your horse, horse too much or right before the charge. Yeah. So that's what happens too is, um, you know, a horse that's obviously been trained to do this, like, just like you, like it sees that flag go up or it hears the music and you feel all the tension under you. Like that horse is very aware of what's about to happen. And you see, you feel like the, like all the muscles start to writhe under you. It's a very powerful feeling too, because, uh, you know, if you're inexperienced or this is new to you, that's sort of scary, but it's also like really cool to kind of have like that, that, that strength under you as like a team. Cause you just feel all that under you and you're like, all right, buddy, let's go, <laughs> yeah, you know? Um, but of course all of that, you know, comes with, a uh, another, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a skill set under its own, right? Because the horse, uh, you definitely don't want it to jolt forward. you like, you don't want your horse to rear up and then like push off and hit the ground into sort of like the briefest of trots to then go straight into a canter. I very much want to kind of give them, a a small release of the reins to kind of come in from that. Like their first step or two is a walk right into a trot. Like I very much want to very easily smooth them from like, like that first step or two right into a trot moving up to the line. And then they're easing into that canter. Um, and that's very much talking about like just bringing that Lance online, whether it's in the couch or it's on the Lance rest, um, that in between state, you very much want to make sure that the Lance is, you know, kept upright and nice and still with you. Um, and again, keeping that good posture because those transitions are where you're going to mess up, right? If you're lazy in your saddle and lazy holding your Lance, that is going to, of course, jostle and wobble everywhere between the, the transition of literally three gates, right? You know, you're still walking, trotting, canter. Um, and if you're not, if you don't have like pretty much a judicious process of how you're sort of going to lower that lance into its place and go, it's, of course, you're going all over the place. You look like a joker. And if it's wobbly at the beginning, it doesn't matter if you get in the lance rest in time. It's like you, you set yourself up for failure from the very beginning. Um, you know, like if you, if you've got a, if you've got a shaky guard, that's in the wrong position, doesn't matter how quick you are to kind of get it up for a defense or an attack. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be, uh, poorly positioned, uh, even moving into the guard, the next guard you want to move into. Yeah. And, and so that, that's actually a really great transition because for here, um, Dalagoke actually gives us like a very sort of swordsman-like response to sort of this next stage. So he follows this up and he gives us this very swordsman-like explanation of what happens next. He says, um, but most of all, when arresting the lance, it's necessary to put one's hand forward, uh, turning it inward in that tempo and in such a fashion that the last knuckles of the finger are placed upward so that the lance comes to be in a place and the lance rests more safely and with greater ease. I feel like there's some deep wisdom in the statement that's born from experience that you can elaborate on. 
So that's, I mean, that's just good uh, mechanics right there. Um, the palm up is the, you know, is the more sturdy position to hold anything. Um, like, you know, it's like, um, you know, anyone that throws a, um, uh, you know, uh, a reverso tondo, right? Um, if, if anyone gives you even the smallest amount of pressure, right? Like knuckles up, yeah. um, like that is going to dissolve under any defense, right? You turn that to striking falso with the palm up, right? Now it's got substance and it can actually do something, right? Same ideas that I want to, when, whether, yeah, whether it's in, of course, a rest or I'm couching it, I'm turning that hand, uh, I'm kind of like kind of a twisting motion as I bring it into place. I'm bringing it under that elbow is going to be close, uh, to my, uh, close to my core. And then of course the palm facing up and that's just a good structure, right. To one, deliver a hit and of course, absorb one, uh, as well. So that's really what that is. And of course, like we're obviously kind of getting into this like explanation as he's just breaking it down piece by piece of being able to come from a still position to bring it down into the rest and turning your arm, you know, very slowly. Um, very much how someone, if you were in a, um, uh, in a Cota Longa and then bringing it up into a, um, Punta Reversa, right. You know, it's like, it's like, you are, you are bringing it into position and you are curving that hand and your body's coming with it. Like it's a whole process. Um, and you can break it down piece by piece. Nice. That's awesome. Um, so Lupito follows this up with a question. Um, he says, do you wish then that when one should, um, that one should immediately draw the grapper near the lance rest. Uh, and, and I was going to ask you what a grapper is, but I think you already mentioned it. Um, so it's basically a ring that hooks into the lance rest that's on like the, uh, the queers. Yes, more or less. Like, as again, I'm not, I am not going to pretend to have an expertise on that piece. Uh, somebody, that, somebody that has more of a, a studied knowledge in uh, the history of armor can tell you more about that or maybe even um some other reenactor groups uh, i have i have no experience with the rest but i'm just thinking about the mechanics of a joust and it's like okay if i have a lance rest then i absolutely want uh something on the lance that connects uh to it that allows me to rest in it and then of course immediately come unhooked as well um but yeah the grab but the grapper is the name of what they have the piece on the uh on the lance that allows you connect to your lance rest yeah because Delagoke answers pretty dismissively and says that you should ease the grapper near the lance rest gradually while you're on the course. So I don't know if that's some degree of a turn or something like that to maybe get it to hook. Um, I'm not sure. I would assume that it's on a part of the lance and that twisting motion that allows you to get to that palm up position is probably a process in itself in which you are lowering the lance and right and turning your arm in a way that that puts it in position and hooks into place so that would be more of a like let's see if my if my hand is facing sort of like uh knuckles of the back of my hand facing outward i would then sort of like lower it down uh in front of me and hook as i twist my hand to palm up down at my side also hooking that lance in and that is literally just me playing with the concept of if i have a lance rest on my armor and there's a piece on my lance, how I would do it. And that's just like me mimicking uh, jousting form and being like, no, if I had a piece, it would probably work like that. Yeah, nice. 
Okay, so then we get another piece of advice, um, obviously born out of experience. When Dalagruki threw a shade at jousters of his age and, and gives contrary advice, Lepido says uh, he's heard you shouldn't clench the fist tightly when the lance is in the lance rest. And uh, Dalagruki says, no, that's stupid and a good way to break your hand. What's he talking about here? Uh I mean, honestly, if you if it, it's the same idea, if you death grip something before an impact, uh, prepare to not enjoy uh, your wrist or your hand anymore. Like <laughs> those things will be taxed, um, and that's just you know that, we already kind of know that from like delivering blows with the sword. So imagine delivering a blow with the lance of two horses driving at each other like that. Like it's gonna hit that other target, right? that other jouster and it's going to blow right back into you. So if you're doing a depth death grip or even have like your fingers way too close to, I would assume like that, that rest, you're probably going to get like your fingers pinched. Oh yeah. And also that Lance is going to blow back into you and mess up that death grip that you've created in your hand. So of course it's always that like not too light, not, you know, not insane grip, but you know, baby bears porridge somewhere right in the middle, just a firm, firm grip i always tell i always tell my students when i first tell them how to grip a sword that they should hold it like a uh, like a baby kitten you know i mean kittens are so <laughs> they're so energetic and they're always trying to get away from you you know but they're delicate so you don't want to squeeze them to death but you still have to you know be kind of firm with them just like, <laughs> you know squirm away um but yeah <laughs> that's uh I, I just i thought that was so interesting um because it seems like you know Lapido is speaking here as if he has some sort of prior knowledge of jousting because he, he brings up certain anecdotes. And I don't know if Dalagoke specifically did this just so that way he could throw shade at, at certain things or um, if he was just really trying to kind of hone in and, you know, make him a better muse. Um, but it seems like that might have been some sort of contrary advice that he had heard. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. All right, so I don't, move, oh. yeah. Uh, oh, so sorry. Yeah, I was going to say it's like I don't think uh, <laughs> I don't I don't think uh, it's it's changed the test of time that there are there are plenty of people that talk about things with authority that probably didn't know what they were talking about, and uh, <laughs> it's just a chance to clear 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 the uh, clear the air there. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny too. I I haven't I haven't read the third book, which is Dalagoki's advice on um, setting up uh, like fighting formations and stuff like that. I intend to, it's something I intend to get into. Um, it's interesting because a lot of it is really just dealing with um, division and like how to divide certain things and, and talking about, you know, making sure you've got your lines even in order to have like a nice even formation uh, from a quick glance that I took at it. But um, I am curious to get into it because there's a similar um, framework for, especially like the images that he uses that Machiavelli uses in the art of war. Um, mm. art of war. So I'm, I'm, one of these days I'll get around to actually doing like a, a like piece by piece comparison of those two things, but not that would there. be fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So moving on to the fifth heading, um, he says that now we're going to get into couching the lance. He says there are three ways to couch the lance. Um, one is to lower it immediately into the lance rest. 
Uh, the second is to keep it high at the beginning of the course, then lower it a little bit when one begins to draw near the enemy. And then the third is to lower it all at once um, when one is about to hit the enemy. All right. Yeah, this, I know, yeah, all of this I am very familiar with. Yeah. So Lance Rest or not, again, would have loved to have had one. Uh, if I ever joust again, I definitely want to try that, try that out. Uh, but this all makes sense. Um, so the same idea of when it was talking about uh, when to put it in the lance rest, right? This is more about, of course, passing through those different speeds, those different gates while you're on the horse. And of course, just dealing with the wind resistance of your horse picking up speed and lowering a lance. Um, so if you bring your lance down immediately, I suppose you are already ready, right? But now your lance is going to be bobbing back and forth with these different passing through these different gates with the horse and steadying it. Um, even if you catch it really well is going to be jostled about, right? So keeping it upright for just a little bit longer until you get on the line, because at this point you're going to be passing into that canter, right? Where the horse's movements are now like powerful, speedy, and smooth, right? This is when you're, you can post up on the horse and stay completely level right? During the walk or the trot, not so much. The horse is still jostling about. There's still much, very much a bouncy up and down motion, uh, motion. And you are going to bounce up and down with that, even to agree, even with steady legs as you're posting with a, with a trot. Um, but once that canter hits, you can really just drop that lance down and only really dealing with the wind resistance at this point, but you've got a nice steady uh, shot now to sort of just ride down the line. Um, the last one, of course, is my personal favorite, and it's the most beautiful, um, is to come around, right? Still have it somewhat upright, and then as you begin that canter, um, sort of just, it's sort of just a beautiful mechanic just to watch it very slowly go from that high point to just drop just online right before just a moment of impact and then hit. And it just, it just broadcasts your skill at this art, right? To just time it quite perfectly because the mechanics are beautiful. You're also not wasting any of your own strength. And it's very interesting too, because as that lance is slowly dropping down, you are dealing with the wind resistance, but it actually, in a weird way, it sort of couches some of the stress of, uh, of holding the lance steady because you are getting a little resistance on it. And it's almost pushing it back just enough that you don't actually have to struggle with um, like, lowering the lance down completely on your own strength. There's almost like a weird pillow that you're passing through as you slowly bring it down with control online with your opponent. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Because, I mean, you, you've got, you know, two vectors of wind force, right? And if the vector is just pushing against it, then you're just resisting that. Whereas if you end up getting it below the sort of mid-plane, then whatever wind resistance vector you're going in, you're going to have to resist, like, pushing back up. Right. So mm -hmm. if you can get it to that specific point, like you were saying, and, and make it really beautiful, like just online strike and then that's it. Or, you know, if you go perhaps too fast and you let it go to it down too far, then you have to go back up, then you have to go back down again. So, you know, just trying to fit it within that wind vector where you're just getting that forward resistance uh, versus like downforce. Yeah. And I mean, of course, the longer you can keep your lance just a little high, the better. One, just, of course, uh, allow you to strike the target, obviously, in the head. Uh, and two, um, you know, 
things happen. Maybe your horse jumps off the side because you gave it too much left spur. And what you don't want is that sudden change, that sudden exterior change to bring your lance pointing down. Um, and that's the main danger is when you bring your lance online too early, it's one of those things where it's like, this can work so long as everything goes just fine. Um, but things happen. Um, and if your lance ends up pointing down while you're riding full, uh, a lot of, a lot of bad things can happen. The least of which, uh, is you pole vault yourself off your own horse. Um, <laughs> and I'm so happy that the arena that I jousted in was full of sand, uh, because, uh, nobody, uh, no, everybody walked away from, uh, the few times I saw that mistake happen. So that's, that's <laughs> very interesting to see. I imagine, you know, that's, that's something I also I'm curious about, you know, when you're, when you're riding in, like when you're tilting and you're riding in a barrier, I mean, has anybody just like lost their lance in the, in the barrier? Like just let it go down uh -huh. too far and just, there goes your lance. Yep. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and sometimes uh, <laughs> like, again, one of those times where you're super happy that they were, they were show lances made out of wood that's meant to fall apart. Um, I've seen, you know, people you know, just have struggle with their horse and they didn't lower their lance on time and it would drop too low. And then, yeah, it would just get like caught in the ground and then go across the front of the horse uh, and break in the list. And luckily the horse's strength broke through it and everything went fine. Um, I, I never saw somebody do that and actually trip the horse. The horse just goes through um, and the, uh, the lance being stepped on is what is what catapults you off of the side of the horse. <laughs> I uh, and then, yeah. And then the last one is just the, uh, you know, just the, the really sort of laughable uh, ugliness as Delagogi puts it of um, just your lance, your, your lance bouncing around um, just uh, amateurishly and missing your opponent by, by, just feet is still nice. I've seen, I've seen somebody just completely end up pointing straight up again or, um, or literally just like uh, thrusting just off of the shoulder across themselves. Yeah. You know, they, they thrust too far uh, left and just like, they just leaned far across and they end up sort of like um, creating like a bar for the other night to sort of just pass through like a toll booth or something. <laughs> yeah. And so I, and it's interesting because that is what he says. Like he says, like the danger of lowering from the very beginning and not having control of the lance is that there you're bound to lose control of it. But there's also the risk of having to raise it again and then missing high. Um, so he he actually does talk about that. And then um, you know when he says his favorite is the gradually lowering the lance like as you're going down um, he says by putting the lance up high and with advantage then lowering it a bit when one begins near the enemy by raising the elbow a bit one can deliver a blow uh, easily moreover it makes a lovely sight so um, then we get a clarification on what advantage means um, and now I feel like there is some insight here that we can delve into so I'm going to quote the passage uh, he says, I mean that when you place the lance in the lance rest, it should be placed firmly and in such a manner 
that its point gets towards the left sufficiently to the outside of the adversary's lance uh, so that the outside of the adversary's lance may be open while keeping your eyes always fixed on your target if you do so it is imp almost impossible to run the course without hitting the adversary this is the surest method that can be employed so what does he mean by the adversary's lance may be open is there any sort of like interplay of the lances that ends up happening uh, yes. Now, uh, I have never done this on purpose, <laughs> but, uh, I've seen it happen and this is, uh, I mean, it's very much like, um, kind of how we would, uh, you know, use stringere, uh, the, your opponent's weapon, right? By order sort of pre-positioning it to point across, right? And it's the same idea, you know, it's very much like, um, you know, you, when you train with spear, um, it is the most, uh, you know, it's the, it's the simplest version of the mechanics you're going to be working with. Um, and it's nice to sort of get those across, but it's the same idea of just wanting to point across and doing that before your opponent does again, with advantage, you're pre-positioned to one, of course, hit them and two, if they even try to stop you, they're going to glance off and them being open, I would assume would be the same idea of somebody being in just a wider guard while your sword is more, of course, in front of you, prepared in that stringere uh, position. That's really interesting. Um, man, <laughs> I, I, like, I'm just imagining, like, you know, especially from a, like, a battlefield standpoint, riding with lances, you're charging somebody else who might have a lance, though I don't know if you would really want to do that because <laughs> it seems like uh most of the time your charges would be at you know something that you can just devastate but the idea of you know coming up with somebody else who has a lance and just kind of thinking about that sort of interplay the way that we do think about swords um it's, it's pretty fascinating um i mean in your head have you conceptualized that at all and just thought like you know Maybe one day I just want to really take advantage of this guy and I'm just going to like give him a nice little Bolognese beat on his lance and, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I mean, there's there's nothing. Come on. there. It doesn't matter whether it's the lance or the spear or the sword. There's nothing more wonderful feeling than just having that weapon pre-positioned. So even when they're moving into you with all your strength, it just glides away and you slide your point right into them and you're just like Mwah, just everything i've ever you know? <laughs> nice all right so then finally we get into uh the sixth heading um which is how to recover the lance and he says that there are two ways um the first is re to return it to your thigh once you've passed the enemy uh, the second is to cast the butt of the lance behind the right thigh making the point face backwards and then once your horse is stopped to return it onto your thigh. All right, so this one to me, of all the things I kind of could picture exactly what Delagoke was talking about, but when he was talking about this second option here, um, which is to cast the butt of the lance behind the right thigh, uh, making the, the point face backwards, what is he getting at? Yeah, that's a weird way to word it. Um... So what's going on is uh, the recovery is after impact. Like you've just hit the person, right? Um, or as far as, you know, as far as I'm aware, that's, that's what he's talking about. Because um, after you hit your opponent, it's, if, you've done, if you've done your job, it should hit. And then you could easily sort of like 
where the butt of the lance has been sort of, you know, couched under your forearm, kind of tucked close to your body, I can sort of drop that down, right? And let that counterweight drop onto my thigh or that point on the, right? And rest on that. And that way it's facing back upward, right? And that works whether it's been broken or unbroken. Um, the other one is that, of course, you're pointed across yourself left. So if it glances off or has a hard impact, um, you can very much have that lance come in front of you. Like you, like you kind of like your, your right arm would sort of do a check your watch uh, motion and then hit you in the head. So what you actually want to do is avoid that, right? So you pass through kind of a similar uh, like hanging uh, parry type motion with that hand. So it's going to hit gleam across and I'm going to drop that butt down, right? And let it sort of move across myself and over. Gotcha. So what I'm actually doing is I'm throwing, it's weird that he says behind. Um, so I'm trying to figure that out right now as, you're, as yeah. you mentioned that. But yeah, it's going to glean across. And I guess I, it's more, to me, it's more off to the side because I'm sort of passing through and I'm letting that, um, the tip of the lance, as it were, the length of it, sort of pass behind me as the butt is sort of going to be facing um, forward and down. Cause I'm literally just letting it hit. It gleams off and I let it pass through. Uh, and I want to sort of end up here before I bring it, you know, end up with the point behind me, uh, the butt sort of angled more down uh, before I bring it straight up again. Uh, what I don't want to do is rest it on my shoulder. Um, once again, sort of like, you know, leaning off to the side kind of bad boy thing, because then it's just going to like, it's going to rest on my shoulder and it's just going to bounce <laughs> up and down. You know, if you did like, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, always finish strong. You know, like maybe, maybe you like began your ride down the line. It was very, like, uh, very comical with you having a hard time getting your lance ready. And then you finally make your impact. Um, and then you have like your beautiful finish, right? That's yeah. that, that'll work out opposed to like beautiful start, nice, perfectly positioned, beautiful mechanics, hit the, hit the target right on line. And then you let it fly off and rest on your shoulder and kind of bounce, uh, you know, comically behind you and it's like oh, you just you did so well um and and i was and i was guilty of this uh when i first started i was a, i was a i was a twig when i first joined um and you know the dealing with the lance resistance and the impact like my arms were just jelly by the end of like the first two uh first two runs and i would totally do that i would be like boom and i just let that sort of fly behind me and then sort of just rest it on my shoulder just to give my my arms a rest uh and it just looked just looked terrible. It didn't matter how well I performed the first part. They were just like, nope, terrible. And I, uh, you know, they, they just keep you out of the show. They're like, no, we're not, uh, we're not putting in front of a spotlight in front of an audience until you stop looking like a fool, more or less. Right on. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty much what Talagoki says. He says, if you put the lance on your shoulder, it's ugly. Um, so yeah, he, he prefers the, uh, the butt out to the right and letting it kind of turn behind you. So he fought, that's pretty much what he gives you for uh, the general jousting advice. He kind of goes into these like sets of anecdotes for training and stuff. He talks about the lance heads um, being like six inches of steel or iron um, roughly. And then he gives this really interesting tidbit. So next up, he gives us further advice. And I found this incredibly interesting. Um, and what may be of interest to others who can't afford a horse or don't have the space for a horse is that Dalakoke says that you can train to joust on foot in order to accustom oneself to carrying the lance by the wrist. Also to um, 
uh, placing it surely upon the lance rest um, without ever looking. Um, it's pretty interesting uh, tidbit here. Um, have you ever practiced jousting um, when not on horseback? Uh, I have. <laughs> uh, it, it happens. It happens quite often. Um, especially when you want to give the horses some rest and before you want to put somebody who's brand new to this on a horse, uh, again, like <laughs> you get somebody used to this, um, you're always going to like, so like fun little tidbit before, uh, get into this, you always want to find out whether a squire is actually able to advance to a knight, And this is very much just like within the hierarchy of, uh, the middle times they worked at. So like you just, you you want to see what they're going to do before you help them uh, graduate to this point. Uh, and they might, they might not get it, but uh, also plenty of jokes. You know, sometimes you're just, uh, you're bored and the horses need a rest and you're putting the lances away and you and your friends see each other and you get squirrely and <laughs> things. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the jokes was like, put the, put the hard, put the hard helmets away. We had like, we had like softer ones or whatever, like put the hard helmets away before show because uh, everybody would definitely grab those and get into some shenanigans. Um, but this is, uh, so one of the reasons for that in general is to play with the same mechanics I was talking about of keeping a steady lance um, while uh, the horse is cantering in the same way that you're going to want to pick yourself up to a full run, right? Um, or just have that consistent speed of your footwork and make sure that you are disciplining your, the top half of yourself to stay steady, right? To keep that lance steady in that consistent speed, right? So it's the same way. It's like, cool. Can you do it on your own legs? Great. Now do it with this super powered beast with four, you know, <laughs> training wheels. <laughs> so i mean your your neighbors might think you've developed some sort of like crazy quixotic fever or something like that if you start running around in your backyard with a lance and no horse um but dalagoki does go into quite a bit of detail and even tells us how to construct a quintain or a dummy rider uh with a helmet and a, a cuirass and on a wooden horse um so if anybody really wants to practice this material um he actually gives you a lot of stuff here um including, I might add, having a friend pull that dummy on a cart <laughs> and run at you. Um, so if anybody's interested in jousting and they don't have access to a horse, but they're looking for some advice on how to get into jousting, uh, Dalgoki is your guy. That's right. No excuses. <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> so then he gets, he, he kind of concludes with further setups on the size of lances and what kind of helmets and armor you should use. Um, anything that you notice there of interest when you're reading back through it? Um, no, I mean, all, all those things, uh, I, that, that sounds right to me. I, I have not used any of these, uh, of these materials uh, to, uh, to effect, but the idea of, uh, of running on foot and practicing that. Uh, and then of course being, you know, having somebody like pull a dummy across from you. And it's like, great. These are like, like it's a jousting, uh, jousting wing chun dummy. Um, and you're going to need, you're going to need, you need to experiment with, um, you know, an exterior force coming at you. Like at first you obviously hit, you know, a static thing, you know, can you, can you joust something that's standing still? Um, and then of course, can you joust something that is coming at you with force as well? Um, so I like, I like that. Like we can actually get some people to like play with this. Uh, there's no excuse not to have a horse. You can go at it. 
Um, and I'm sure there were plenty of um, uh, poor uh, men at arms that did not have, you know, it's, it's like, I don't have a horse, but I need to get the skills ready for when I do get on a horse, right? In the same way that, you know, we would have, you know, uh, people looking to train to become knights uh, at the, uh, we just would call it the, the castle instead of going to work. Um, we would just have them try that out. It's like, cool, before you ruin one of our horses and give it too much spur or too much left spur, like, can you, can you keep this land steady? Can you run with it? Can you deal with these kind of things uh, before I put you on this horse and possibly give it a bunch of bad habits? Because um, you've already disciplined the top half of yourself and then you can just focus on the horsemanship uh, side of it. Because again, you need, you need one part of what you're doing to be subconscious so that you focus on the other, right? Like definitely you want to train good footwork, right? So that your feet are doing what you want them to while you're focusing on your blade engagement. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's, uh, that's perfect. That's, I mean, it's, it, it does correlate perfectly. I mean, you know, I, it's, it's a challenge, I think, for a lot of people who are instructors to kind of get that, you know, some people really struggle with coordinating their feet and their hands when it comes to sword fighting, but, you know, training up the footwork, that's like, you know, the core of everything you are. Um, it's something that we definitely focus on a lot. Um, so one of the other things that I noticed uh, that I thought was kind of interesting, he gives it a length of the tilt. Uh, he said that it should be 200 feet or 67 meters for our friends across the pond. Um, so when you're, when you're riding, uh, one of the questions that came to mind here was how quickly does that go by? Like, what 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 time frame are we talking about in terms of like you get this like you you get up there everything's ready to go you get the the go signal and then like what is it like i mean is it a heartbeat i mean does the adrenaline just make you go so much faster like what is what is that experience true right uh because from the audience perspective this maybe is under 30 seconds maybe like does, does it, you know like every list is a little bit different um but, uh, yeah, I, I guess I have, uh, it's usually one of those two. It depends on how sort of, um, intense everything is. I will tell you that if you're doing all the wrong things with, uh, putting your lance down, uh, like too soon and it's jostling about as you brought that horse into a canter, um, it goes by very fast, um, horrifyingly fast. You're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, trying to get the little lance on, right? And it just, everything's happening too fast. You're like, why? Um, when you've got everything right, like when you've set yourself up for success, right? And kind of lowering it as you're going forward and of course, uh, uh, bringing it across with advantage. Yeah. Time stands still. It's, uh, yeah, you, you, you could almost get bored when you're, uh, when you're experienced a little bit, like if you, when you've really synced up, it's, it's kind of that when you're like on your best day, you kind of get that no mind effect. And it becomes like that, like things really can just slow down as you ease the, the lance slowly into place. And that's just, that is, of course, everything that um, he's talking about, you know, the ugly versus what is beautiful to look at. And that moment that you really sync it up and it's beautiful to look at is also that moment where it's like, you are like, the world disappears, you know, you are, it is that kind of movie mold where it's like, there's no music, there's, there's no sound. You just hear like this kind of, kind of a cushioned um, thumping of the hooves. Um, followed by just sort of the crash of the lands. And it's, uh, you know, I think it's just something instinctual in us. You know, we are, we are aiming creatures, if you think about it. 
you know, from the spear to the hunt, but it's like, it's that it's in us to look at that pinpoint and hone in and sort of predator, like just aim and go, you know? And that's really what you, it's just this whole moment that you just predisposed for that. And it can, it can just, it can last a beautiful lifetime or it can be a very quick, panicky, sweat-driven, comical, uh, you know, just comedy of errors. <laughs> yeah, no, that's beautiful. I love that. Um, that's that's why I brought you on here, because I knew you would have awesome stories. Um, all right, so <laughs> that's jousting. I mean, that's pretty much Talagoki's jousting chapter, um, yeah. or book. And yeah. hopefully that serves as a pretty good reference for everybody. It gives them some insight if they do want to get into the material and you know set up a wooden dummy and have one of their friends pull it and uh you know practice their jousting um but we do get one more chapter on uh well we get a chapter here on uh further horsemanship related material and having experienced uh going to uh medieval times before and watching the show i know that you guys do a lot of stunts where you're jumping out of the way of horses and dodging horses so mm -hmm. let's about Marazzo's chapter on fighting somebody on horseback. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, getting here, uh, this is Marazzo, book two, chapter 160. Um, and I'm just going to, I'm going to read through bits of the chapter and then we can, uh, we can break it down. So I'll go ahead and start. And um, he starts out by saying, if through misfortune, <laughs> you should befall that when you are on foot and come to blows with one who is on horseback, specifically, you should have a sword and a cape. Of course, Marazzo, you know, he, he is the kind of guy where he would set us up to failure at the very beginning, right? Like you should have a sword and a cape. If you don't, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> And both, uh, and both of you are unarmored or equally armed. Um, then you follow. You should follow the method written below. You cannot fail, and you will have honor. Therefore, be attentive to what I tell you. Uh, first, place your cape on your left arm in such a manner that you can throw it, and set yourself with your sword and chingiari porta de ferro alta. As the horse bears down upon you, you must wait and throw the cape in the face of your enemy's horse stepping with your right leg to his left as you throw it, hitting the horse and its front legs with a reverso tondo. As you take that step, along with the mandrito across the reins or to the enemy's left leg, letting your sword fall into Porta de Ferro Larga. All right, let's pause here. Um, first, what is it like to stand and wait for a horse as it bears down upon you um, with a rider at a full gallop or a canter? I can't hear you. Eric, you're muted. But yeah, uh, it, it does not matter, even if it's staged and you've, uh, you've gone over the choreography a few times, when that horse comes full canter at you, um, it's, it's terrifying. I've never had a, a, like some sort of predator come at me in the wild, but I think uh, it's like half, half the terror is, is a rider on a horse just coming right at you. Because um, even with stage choreography, um, it can go wrong. Um, and uh I have to be very careful what stories I share because I don't want to like <laughs> put anybody in a legal legal yeah. issue. Um, but uh, bad things can happen. Um, but no, it's uh, it is a lot. Um, the only thing that helps you really is knowing what to do. 
right? And I think uh, I think he, he very much touches this nicely, um, both before and after. I believe he talks about how you know how to set yourself up, of course, as he said, and you will never you know you will do this with honor. And I think uh, he does mention a little bit afterwards too, being like um, you know stay stay calm and know what you're doing. You know, and that really is it. If you're panicked because you're being, uh, someone's, you know, about to ride down on you, you're not going to do the right thing. And if you try to get in front of the horse, you will probably just get in front and then quickly be under the horse. Um, yeah. yeah p- panic, like, yeah, obviously it seizes up your limbs, right? Just like if you get too, uh, too excited in a spar, right? Like your, your limbs aren't there for you quick enough, right? The calmer you are, the more limber you are. Um, and that's that same thing of like the timing of it. You're able to time it much easier when you're calm and know what you're doing, opposed to like you're panicked, you'll jump out in front of the horse and then just get either trampled or even just hit off to the side. Yeah. So I, I, I thought it was kind of interesting that he cuts a reverse tunnel here. Um, typically. Oh, to hit the horse's leg. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I looked up some, uh, some equestrian anatomy and it looks like they actually have two major extensor tendons that run like right on their like the front part of their leg um so i guess that kind of makes sense that that's probably what you're targeting um excellent i mean if i if i may um i i wouldn't recommend anyone doing this but anyone that hasn't been around horses um in the same way that sort of like there's a common knowledge of like if you encounter a dog that you've never met like extend your hands so that they can sniff it before you pet in the same way um flags cloth a a plastic bag being waved is the absolute devil to the horse (laughs) they are completely terrified of those things unless uh unless you have really just kind of desensitized them toward it um even then uh, there are many times like these, these horses, like we literally carry flags as we're riding with them. And sometimes one will move randomly that isn't staged and they just completely freak out. So I kind of laughed when I read that the first time and I was like, I don't know, I might just be able to throw the cloak and totally be fine. Like I might just throw the cloak and the horse freaks out and throws the rider. Well, you know, I, I think that's actually really fascinating that you bring that up because it almost reads like he's just giving us like, all right, you're going to do this. If it works, the horse rears and, and and pulls off to the side great you've done your mm-hmm. job right now you don't have somebody bearing down on you or if you actually do cut those extensor tendons that are on the front of the horse's legs great the horse is probably going to collapse um, right and so and and you're kind of it's like this series of progressions sort of like the way that we get the techniques right like you deliver a thrust and the general intention sometimes is that the thrust is going to land right but your opponent ends up making a parry and then we just get the the reversal back behind or something like that whereas here we can actually see that this is this very dramatic progression of various instances of things where we throw the cape in the horse's face if that doesn't work then we cut the reverso tondo across the legs if that doesn't work well, the next best thing to do at this point is to go ahead and cut that mandrito to the reins, hopefully to cut the reins so that the horse, you know, the rider doesn't have any control over the horse. Or he says you can hit the rider with a, a mandrito. So, yeah, I would totally go for the reins. If you've blinded the horse and then cut the reins, uh, once you grab the bridle, the you, you've got it. it the day is yours. 
Yeah, and so that actually that leads perfectly into <laughs> to the the continuation here. Um, so he then he says, now from Porta de Ferro Larga, um, step to the horse's left side with your left leg, and put your hand on the bridle, um, with your sword. Stick a thrust in the flank of uh, of your enemy or his source. Then, for your safety, leap back and set yourself in quote along the strata, assuming that you didn't take hold of said bridle of the horse. Because if you do seize it, don't ever let go <laughs> uh, of it until you're killed or um, until you've killed or wounded him or his horse in order to keep him from harming you uh, while you attack him and his horse, always from the left side. So uh, we get some pretty interesting advice here, right? Uh, first, I'd like to point out that by putting ourselves on the left side of the horse and always staying on the left of the horse means that the rider has to cut across their body, right? Correct, um, yeah. And that, that's pretty tough, I imagine. Yeah, you're, yeah your only real defense from the other side is uh, definitely a twist of your torso, but I mean, the best you're really doing is, uh, is kind of an imbrocata uh, action, but you're not really even reaching that far. Um, as far as on the other side so yeah because you're you're kind of you're limited by your torso and how far that cut can go i mean if you just sit in a chair and you you know take your right arm and try to cross your body where your arm stops that's where your arm stops that's as far as your cut is going yeah. right and that's not even taking into account that if you throw a cloak of a horse's head you've now got the horse's head to deal with um, um yeah yeah um all right so then um yeah, and then it, of course, it makes sense um, that if you've got a hold of the bridle, he says, you know, keep attacking and never let go. Um, whereas if you don't, you know, pull back and, and try to reset, I mean, there's a, a pretty good chance you've either spooked the horse or, you know, you've wounded the rider, perhaps wounded the horse, and now you can continue the fight with some sort of a different advantage, right? You might have a single sword fight on your hands now that you've thrown your cape because we know that we're similarly armed. And they might have to dismount their horse and then come at you. And, you know, now you have some sort of an advantage because you're not fighting somebody on a horse while you're on the ground. So how quickly can the horses turn, though? I, I've seen a, a couple of videos of people doing some mounted combat and really just turning their horses on a dime. Yeah. So um, this, uh, this kind of goes back to um, the giving that too much left spur. Um, because that horse really well, it'll just, it'll, it'll get out of Dodge real quick. Um, so in the same way, so the idea is that, um, the horse is always going to move away from pressure, right? So as I'm turning the horse, right? So easy stuff to think about is that I, you know, I'm going to give a little bit, I want to drive more of my legs than anything, but I mean, I can give the slightest inclination of a little bit of left rein, Right. And just to give a little bit of pressure from my left leg and that horse is going to move away from the pressure of my left leg and its head is going to go in the direction of the rein that I'm giving it. Right. And now it's going to turn left, you know, quicker than if I just kind of did one of these things right now in the same, you know, same idea, a more skillful rider can get a nice full 180. Uh, sometimes, I mean, you can look up just people doing like, you know, barrel racing, uh, sorry, um, not racing, but yeah, it's just like you know, just these barrel exercises where you're just turning the horse on a dime around. Uh, so, absolutely, um, which is why it's like you need that you need that moment to uh, seize the horse, right, or blind the horse, and of course injure the rider uh, and or the horse so that they don't 
So the horse doesn't come back, right? Your one advantage is to, of course, take the horse out of play, right? Rider is secondary. That's, yeah, it's the same. It's like a chess match. It's like, all right, I need to take the horse out now. <laughs> I can deal with the pawn. But. Yep. All right, so Morazzo concludes, um, I want you to understand in this situation, you need to fear, you need not fear anything, right? and you will always be safe. Uh, so this kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier. Um, as long as you always keep to his left side hitting him and the aforesaid horse that is in the head, flank, or the legs, Understand that if you hit his horse once or twice in the head or legs, it'll never dare approach again. Thus, should a similar conflict happen to you, proceed assuredly and without fear, uh, because if you're afraid, nothing will come out according to your wishes. Or if you do things peculiarly, <laughs> um, it's almost impossible to accomplish what you wish. Therefore, heed my counsel and not think that I have given you too many words, for I am a man of few words, and accordingly I conclude this section on fighting on foot against one on horseback. And so I just wanted to point out to everybody here that uh, Jarek Swinger uh, gives us the second best footnote in uh, the Marazzo translation uh, when he says, um, Marazzo claiming he's a man of few words is a matter of opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I concur with that one. The first, um, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this one, but uh, one of the uh, strata techniques with the two-handed sword, um, it's in chapter three. It's like the twelfth heading. Um, Marazzo has you come up and you initiate this true edge bind with your opponent. And if they give you pressure to push your uh, sword away, you step in and you kick them in the balls. And then he says you step back gallantly. And uh, Swinger puts in this uh, this footnote that says, uh, "Gallantry is subjective." <laughs> uh, that's that is the best footnote in Marazzo. That's pretty good. But there is a lot of humor in the footnotes, so uh, definitely pay attention to that. All right. So, what are your overall thoughts on this chapter? Uh, I I mean I I like it a lot. So, uh, well, that's a terrible descriptor, isn't it? I like it a lot. Well, uh, well done. Um, so, uh, absolutely. So this kind of goes into what I was saying before of like, just, you got to stay calm and know what you're doing. So he very much covers that before and after, which I like, you know, he says, he's like, cool, this is what you do. So please listen to me and you will have honor. And then at the very end, it's like, you know, take heed, you know, do not be afraid. And that's what it is. Your, your comfort is in this procedure, obviously, you know, and, uh, like a, like a good Bolognese play, of course, as we talked about, it's uh it's five moves deep. Like it's, <laughs> it's like, it's like if one of these works great, but I'm giving you several, um, cause it probably won't work out, you know, Murphy's law. Uh, but yeah, staying on the left side of the horse, obviously great. Um, of course, yeah. If you ever really want to, uh, you know, quell any of your fear against a horseman, grab the bridle. You have the power now, <laughs> whoever controls the horse, wins and if you have if you have it literally by the face you're good and if you've cut the reins and have it by the face you're golden um to your point with the um having a horse turn on a dime uh absolutely this is why one you would like to cut the reins so that if you were whether you see the bridle or not you've taken their control of the horse uh away to some degree now a skilled rider can just drive with their legs right to in fact, I many times have 
lost a range just because the, like the leather just got twisted and old and then snapped in mid. And I've been able to, with one rein or no rein, still drive the horse to effect, um, but still not the same sort of uh, control I would like. Uh, so if I if you've cut the reins uh, and stabbed the horse a little bit and maybe didn't get the bridle, yeah, if you can't really drive the horse beyond with just a little bit of a, uh, you know, hey, come on, a little bit of spur to go forward, that horse is not coming near you. Uh, so it's very nice because uh, if I'm trying to stay to the left side of the horse, that sounds great, um, but that rider absolutely can turn that horse much faster than you can stay on that side. You need to be grabbing onto something. It's bridle, um, maybe even the rider's leg, um, but I wouldn't like that sort of blade engagement with their with their sword being high in that situation. Even from a stage combat point of view, and I'm like, I'm going to get stabbed in the eye, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> Just going to sit to sit in uh, and alley corno and keep their uh, keep their sword away. But um, no, they they can tear their horse a lot faster than you can sort of stay on that left side. So really it comes down to like you can do that so long as you've taken some advantage over them but without that definitely stab the horse and get away um hopefully having cut the bridle to me it's like cut the leg or the bridle uh and i'm like uh sorry the leg or the or the reins and it's like cut the reins every time like that would be paramount to me like if you can cut the reins you're gonna you're gonna steal a lot of power back for yourself in that situation i'm just thinking about some skilled riders that uh I've had just like jokingly move away from a staged moment uh, while we were practicing and just kind of being like, oh my gosh, the only reason I'm able to get away with this is the fact that it's staged. Um, so like a lot of your advantage in this situation that Marasa is giving you is, um, you know, you know what to do and the writer isn't prepared for it. Um, if the writer is prepared for it, uh, God help you. Um, you're not going to, you're going you know, to, yeah, it's like you cannot run the thing. Uh, you can't hit nearly as hard as that mounted rider can. So, you know, should have, should have brought your cloak or your javelin. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Paige, bring me my partisan. I can't yeah. read. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. So um, that wraps that up. You know, I was thinking um, in preparation for this, that at some point we might have to get back together again and talk about Pietro Monti's advice on horsemanship. Oh, yeah. He's got some pretty good stuff in there. And unfortunately, we are going to, this is going to be the longest episode already, which I I anticipated and I'm I'm very glad for. But that concludes part one of my interview with Eric Weiss, where we talk about horsemanship. Stay tuned for part two, where we talk about swordsmanship.